Well, praise God. As I um, begin this morning, um, you know, I was thinking, and I've, I've probably said this before, and you, many of you heard this before, that, you know, many people think that, that all of us, all of God's creation are his children. We're all, you've probably, you've probably heard people say that before, we're all, we're all God's children. And, well, when you read the Bible, that's not, that's not true. We're all created by God. Everyone is created by God, but not everybody calls God their father. Well, he's not Lord in everyone's life. And um, uh, John 1, 12 says, this is not on the screen, it says, to, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. Well, who's the him that we receive? It's Jesus. To many has, who has received Jesus Christ as Lord, to them, the Bible says, God has given the power to be, the, to be called the sons of God. So who are the children of God? Well, it's his church. It's those of us who are born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, who have confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are his children. We are his, we are his church. And so why is that important? You know, why does it matter that there's a distinction between all of God's creation and God's church? Well, we are his people. We, we, are, the, we are the people of God. We are the ones who look to God, who, who search for God, who cry out to God, who who hear from God, who trust God. So we, we are his people. Um, we are part of God's plan and purpose on the earth. And y'all have heard me say that before we preached a series on the kingdom of God. We are part of God's kingdom. The, the church, God established his church that he might fulfill his purpose on the earth through his church, that to establish his kingdom and his will on the earth. That's us. We are part of that. And then um, we are his primary focus. You know, I love that. When you read the Bible, um, God, God spends a lot of time, and Jesus spends a lot of time talking about the church. Not that God doesn't care about, God loves the world, and God's desire is that everyone would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but God's eyes are on his people. It's on his church, and um, that, that's who we are. So, um, Three weeks ago, um, I started a series uh, um, in, in the book of Revelation. Um, the seven letters that, that Jesus had Jesus re- revealed to John, um, the book of Revelation, in the beginning of, of the uh, book of Revelation, uh, Jesus revealed to him seven letters that he was to write to seven churches. Um, so this is the series of letters to the seven churches. And... Um, so Jesus, it's interesting if you read the book of Revelation, and I, I shared this before three weeks ago when I said this, you know, a lot of people, when they think of the book of Revelation, uh, the first thing that comes to their mind is the, is the um, end times, and, you know, the, the end of the world and the second coming and all of those things. But really, the, the book starts off by saying the revelation of Jesus Christ. So really, the book was written to reveal to us or give us a deeper revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And really, that's what the whole Bible is written about, is that we might know and understand who Christ is. But in the very beginning of the book, and and to me it shows you where God's heart is, the first thing that Jesus tells uh, John to write about is to write about the churches, instruct the churches, encourage the churches. So that tells me that we are like first on God's mind. Like Jesus is thinking about his people, he's thinking about his church. And we notice it's true in Ephesians 5.25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church 
and gave himself up for her. So uh, the Bible says that Jesus loved the church so much that he did what? He died for the church. He was crucified. He, he, he died that we, that, that we might become the church. Um, so the, the letters that are written in Revelation, and I shared this um, when, when I started the series, it's important for us to understand they were written to actual churches. Most of them, they're in uh, Asia Minor, where they were written. A lot of for the churches were churches that the Apostle Paul had started. But it's important for us to understand as the church today that every letter that was written is, is applicable for us. In other words, there's something in every letter that God is speaking to every church at every church age. In other words, it's something that we can apply to our lives. So we can't just think, well, that was only written for that church, and it's not for me. It was written for all Christians, for every stage and every age of, of the church. And um, so the letter that is written may not pertain to a church now, like there may be some things that I'm going to share today with the church I'm going to talk about that might not say, well, we don't really fit that, but it may be something that, that may apply in the future, or maybe something that, that, that's a part of, you know, God's dealing with us or whatever, so we just have to have our ears open and sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what it is that God is trying to speak, speak to us, and, um, and really it's, it serves as a warning but it's also an encouragement. It's, it's very encouraging. So these letters are addressed to us. They're addressed to Christians. So, you know, we don't want to brag about ourselves and think that we're, we're not any better than anybody else. But it is kind of nice to know that God, like, we're in this room this morning. If we've confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, then God's written this to us, like to you and I. We know this building's not the church. The tabernacle church is not the address that this building, it's, it's the body of Christ. We, we are the church, so God is obviously, he's speaking to people, he's speaking to us. So um, just a quick overview uh, or a format of the letters um, to kind of give a, just, a, just a format of how the letters are put together. Every letter in the, of all seven letters, every letter had a rebuke or a correction with the exception of the church in Smyrna and Philadelphia. So every letter that, that, that Jesus gave to John to write to the churches received a rebuke except for two. And um, I would like to be one of the churches that didn't get any rebuke, that we like, like man, we got an A plus, you know, on our, on our grade. And, um, but I still think, again, even though we, we study the letters that did get a rebuke, um, we can learn from that because that could be something that maybe in the future, you know, we could be tempted to do or to become. So it's important for us to learn from everything that was instructed to all the churches. But all seven letters had, had, had two categories. They had encouragement and they had exhortation. So every, one of, every church received encouragement and every church received an exhortation. And then this was the a format that was common in each letter. And if Ruby wants to put up that next um, slide there, and this, this was common in every one of the letters. Uh, Christ addressed each church by name. And if you look at the book of Revelation, if you have a Bible where all the words of Christ are written in red, then the letters that, that are written are written in red here because Jesus was revealing these letters to John himself. So these were written by Christ. Um, it, um, he identified himself according to the concern of each message. So in the beginning of each letter, Christ identifies himself for who he is according to what it was he was speaking to that church. And so that's very interesting. 
Um, he informed the church what he knew about it. Christ knows about this church. He knows about his church corporately, the world church that confesses his name. But Jesus knows about this church. Um, he addressed the condition of the church. Um, he gave an exhortation. He admonished each church to, he to heed the exhortation. And he made a promise to the one who overcomes. So these, this format here is, is identical for every, every letter that is written. So I think that's just kind of important for us to kind of grasp, you know, the way these letters were formatted and how they were put together. And, um, but every one is unique in the message and the, the instruction and the encouragement that Jesus was given to each, each one of the churches. So, um, so just a recap of the first two letters that we've already covered. The first one was the church of Ephesus. And if y'all were with us there, Jesus told them, he encouraged them that they had persevered and they had endured hardships. But he had this one thing against them. He said they had forsaken their first love. And um, they had allowed something else to seep into their life as a Christian that took first place. And I think all of us, if we were honest with ourselves, um, no matter how long we've been saved, we can all say that there's been things that have probably come into our life that have replaced first place for Jesus. And, and so, um, and, and God cares about that. He, he wants, what did Jesus say? He said, seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's, there's something about putting God first. And we live in a world where there's a lot of things competing for our relationship with God. We're, we're in comp there's, there's a competition out there. And the world is trying to pull us away from our love for Christ. So what do we have to do? We have to work at keeping Christ first. Like keeping, like our first love. You know, that song, that song we sang there, it says, replace the lamp of my first love. And the lamp that is going dim, you know, let it burn bright, you know, for Jesus. So, so that, that's so important for us. And then the church in, uh, in Smyrna was one, of the, was one of only two churches that did not receive a rebuke. And Lee shared that message two weeks ago. Last week was Mother's Day, which my wife did an amazing job for, um, for Mother's Day. But, but I wanted to say that Lee did an excellent job pointing out the encouragement and the exhortation in that letter. It's, it's really, you laid it out beautifully the way you, the way you did that. And Jesus told them that they, that they were about to suffer. Like they, they were going to suffer for, for the name of Christ, but he exhorted them to stand even, in the, even if it meant persecution or death. In other words, Jesus was exhorting them, stand firm. No matter what you face, and Jesus, I mean, uh, Lee, Lee titled the message, Come What May. And, and really, that needs to be our mantra as a church. Come what may. We're, we're going to stand. That persecution could come. Uh, we could be put in prison. There's, there's Christians today in the world that are being imprisoned for their, for their faith in Christ, that, that, that are in danger of, of publicly speaking the way I'm publicly speaking here this morning. You, you could be thrown in jail in some places today in the world. So I think a lot of times we take for granted the freedoms that we enjoy in this nation to be able to just get in our car, drive over here, walk into this building, and just worship Jesus. Right. You know, it's a privilege. And um, so if you think about it, just, rem just remind yourself to tell the Lord, thank you. I do that. I say, God, thank you that I'm living in a nation that's free, you know, that, that I can still worship God and I can go in freedom with my family, with my children, 
and I can worship the Lord. That's something to be extremely thankful for. And, uh, but anyway, G- Lee did a, an excellent job uh, po- po- pointing that out in that letter. And then Jesus told them that if they would remain faithful, even in the midst of persecution, that they would receive a crown of life. And that's eternal life. That, that's our goal. That's our aim. That it's not this life. You know, the Bible says if we're only living for this life, we're, we're the most to be pitied. If all you're living is just to be satisfied here, then you, 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 you're missing the mark. The goal is, is eternal life, is, is life with Christ, is, is in the presence of heaven. So, um, so that's the first two letters. The third letter is, is to the church in Pergamum. And um, I titled this message, Hold Firm to the Word of God. Hold Firm to the Word of God. And this is in Revelation 2, verses 12 to 17. It says, To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you, have all, likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone and a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So this letter, unlike the one that Lee shared the last time we preached in this series, also includes a rebuke. And um, so what we want to see here is what is it that Jesus is wanting to communicate to the church? Because it's, it's not just, again, it's not just written to the church in Pergamum. It's written to us. It's written to uh, the Christians. So we got to dig, dig into, the, into the letter and find out what it is that Christ is wanting to say to us individually. So I pray that we have hearts that are willing to receive whatever it is that God wants to speak to us today. So the first thing here in verse 13, um, it says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. So the first thing I believe that God wants us to see is we need to stand firm where God has placed you. God is calling us to stand firm where he has placed you. The, The location of this church is very interesting. I did some study as I was preparing for this for this message, and um, the, the actual location today, and this is interesting, a lot of times when you read the Bible, there'll be cities that you read or names in the Bible that are modern names today that have changed, and this is one of them. Um, today, Turkey, the country of Turkey, is where Pergamum, the church of Pergamum, would have been located. It's in Asia Minor, um, uh, located right there uh, near the Middle East. It's, part of it is actually in Europe, and part of it is actually in the Middle East. So it's basically where the, where the country of Turkey is located today. But the other interesting thing about this church is they were located in a terrain where there was like this cliff that went up to like 1,000 feet. 
And of course, we can't imagine that in Louisiana because we don't have any cliffs that go up even, even 10 feet. We don't have a, I mean, it's like completely flat here. But I've been to places where they got cliffs, so you can kind of envision that, if you will. But, but just imagine this, the church is located in a terrain where it's at, basically at the base, it's at the base of this cliff, and then the cliff goes up 1,000 feet. And the studies that I did on this said that there was, that at each level at the, at the base where the church was, and then in the center of the cliff and at the top of the cliff, there was these temples to false gods, like, like in, in, this, in the area right where this church is located. So, so they were literally surrounded by ungodliness. They, they were surrounded by uh, worldliness. They, they, were, they were surrounded by ungodly people. And um, so that's where the, the, the phrase is where Jesus said, where Satan has his throne. In other words, they were literally placed in, a, in an area where it was so ungodly, Jesus said, you were living in an area where Satan has his throne. And, you know, I thought about this. Um, you know, America, and, and we were founded on godly principles. I mean, this nation was founded on godly principles. I, you know, but, but we've, we've actually, we've, we've departed far from that. I mean, as a nation, as a, as a government, as a society, we've, we've grown apart from God. So in many ways, even the church in America is really living in a place where Satan has his strongholds. I mean, there, there's satanic strongholds in the, in the place where we live. There's immorality, there's, there's lawlessness, there's ungodliness, there's all these things. And, and, and God has, has placed his church in the midst of those things. So in spite of their location, Jesus said they remain true to his name. They, they were true to the name of Christ. So... Um, the first thing we need to understand is the ungodliness of the world we live in can never be an excuse to deny Christ. We can't just say, well, you know, God doesn't know how bad it is where I live or how ungodly this place is or, or whatever God doesn't understand. I just can't stand for Christ because this is so ungodly. We can, it, it can never become that way, that, that, God, that God would ever allow us to make an excuse to say, I can't live for him because it's so ungodly. God gives us the strength and the power through his Holy Spirit to endure wherever he has placed his church. And if you think about it, if, if God only placed a church where there was all Christians, why would he need the church? What, what, what purpose would the church serve? We're here to be the light. We, what does the Bible say? We're the salt and light of the world. But we're, we're, a light, we're, we're the light on the top of the hill, shining the light of Christ for all to see. So we should be thankful that God has placed us in a, in a position where we can show the world the truth of what, of what the word of, word of God says. And um, so God has called us to stand wherever he has, he has placed us, the country, the state, the city, regardless of the level of ungodliness, God has called us to stand where we live. And um, Philippians chapter 2 says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So Paul is instructing the church in Philippi, the Philippians, just to stand bright for Christ. And look what he says here. Um, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. We're living in a warped and crooked generation today. 
That's where we are. But look what it says, that you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So, so the church, we shine like stars. Like you should be a shining star wherever you go. And a lot of times it doesn't take much but just a smile and a word of encouragement because people are so oppressed. They're so depressed. They're so, they're heavy. They're, they're, they're carrying heavy burdens. And all of a sudden someone comes along that's got the life of Christ. And there's like a, there's like a light. You shine like a star. That, that's what God wants his church to do is, is to shine among all the wickedness and all the ungodliness like stars. So, um, you know, in the place where you work, you know, many of you here, I mean, I was like this when I worked in the secular world. Um, many of you, like me, you may be the only Christian in the place where you work. You're like, well, I, I really find it hard to identify somebody else that's a Christian. That's all right. Live for Christ where he's put you. Shine bright the light of Christ and, and, and allow God to, be, to let you begin to one that begins to affect change on the people that you work with. Just make a decision. I'm going to shine bright. I'm going to shine bright for Christ. And, you know, Brandon, I was thinking about you. You know, Brandon just recently started a new job as a, as a fireman. He passed his fireman test. So congratulations, Brandon. And, um, but, you know, you might be the only person in that. You're going to spend a lot of time with those guys in that firehouse. I know, I know guys Lori and I knew. We knew families that were firemen. And, and, and just shine for Christ. Don't be defeated or be discouraged because you say, well, nobody else is a Christian here, God has placed you there for a purpose, to shine the truth of Christ. And we need to look at that wherever, we, wherever you are, wherever you work, wherever you go, there's a reason why God has placed you there, to shine the truth. So don't murmur and complain and, you know, why did God put me here? Why, why am I living here? Just say, God, what, can I, what change can I promote here? What, what difference can I make for Christ? How can I stand? And God will give you the power and the strength the strength to do that. And, um, you know, for those of you who are in school, you know, I think of Alex and, and Noah, you know, y'all in school and public schools here, and, and sometimes that's an ungodly environment. There's, there's young people that don't really want God. They don't want to know who Jesus is. They don't read the word. They don't go to church. But God has placed y'all there to shine the light of Christ, to show the others around them that this is who Jesus is. And, um, you know, homeschool's awesome. I love homeschool. My, my, Lee and Rachel's does home. There's a lot of homeschoolers in here. But really, we need, we need Christians in Covington High School. Like, we need people in, in these public schools shining the light of Jesus Christ, showing the world this is who Christ is. So, so there's a place for all of that. But, but when God has placed you in that environment, you just say, God, I'm going to stand for you. And, and so then we might think, you know, you might say, well, no one sees here I am, I'm, I'm standing for Christ, I'm, I'm trying to live for Christ, I'm trying to, you know, live according to the Word of God, and nobody sees me and nobody cares about me. They don't, they don't even notice me. Well, look, look, what, look what Jesus said. Jesus told the church in Pergamum, he said, I know where you live. Amen. So what does that tell you? That Jesus sees. He sees you. He, he sees this church. He sees when we, when we leave this building, he knows where you go, where you live, where you work, where you go to school, your family, your friends, God, Jesus sees you. So if you get discouraged and you get lonely, just remind yourself, God's looking at me. He's, and he's, 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 he's like, he's noticing it. And that was, the, that was the one thing that they were encouraged for, that Jesus told them, you, even in the midst of that environment that you were in, you're still standing for me. So God sees you. So don't get discouraged. 
Just say, God, what, there's a purpose. There's a reason why you've, you've placed me in, in, this, in this environment. And um, so we need to stand. And the Bible says that, that this church was standing so firm that some of their members were even, be, even becoming martyrs for Christ. They were, they were willing to die for their faith in Christ. So this was a strong encouragement that Christ was giving them, that they, they did not deny that Jesus was Lord. They were, they were standing firm in his name, and they, they were even willing to give their lives for Christ. They were, they were, they were, uh, they were martyrs. So, so that's, a, um, that's a strong encouragement. So the next thing that Christ is telling us here in verse 14, and this, this is the word you hate. It's like the word but. He said, ne- but he said, he said nevertheless. <laughs> you wish that wasn't there. It's like but. <laughs> nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. So the next thing I believe that Jesus wants us to see here is we need to stand firm on the word of God. We need to stand firm on the word of God. And, you know, this rebuke almost sounds like a contradiction to the commendation that Christ was giving the church. He was encouraging them that they were standing firm for, for Jesus, that they were even willing to die for Jesus, but now he, he rebukes them or corrects them to tell them, to, to tell them that, that they were, um, there were some among them who were holding to the teachings of Balaam, and they were allowing sexual immorality to infiltrate the church, the Bible says. So this almost sounds like Christ was contradicting the encouragement that he gave them. And, but he really, if you study this, he wasn't. So... Um, it, it, begs the, it begs us to ask the question, is it possible to claim Jesus as Lord and also compromise the word of God? So can I stand up here and say that Jesus is Lord, but in some ways compromise what the word of God says? I believe that is true, um, but it's not what God wants. And this is the rebuke that Christ was giving the church is that they were, they were mixing the truth of God with the error of the world. The, the ungodliness and the worldliness around them was beginning to infiltrate the church. And unfortunately, this is happening in the world we live in today with the modern church, especially in in America. And sometimes it's hard to even draw the line and distinguish where the church is and where the world is because the church has become so much like the world. And um, But someone who confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior can also allow themselves to compromise the word of God by their own interpretation or the interpretation of others. This is extremely dangerous, and if left unchecked, can lead to what this church was experiencing, ungodliness and immorality, even within the church. So um, the danger that we have is, is when we begin to say, well, this is how I interpret the word of God. You've ever heard somebody say that? Well, that's, I don't interpret it that way. Well, the only interpretation I really want is the interpretation from the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to get, I don't, I, don't want, I don't even want David's interpretation. I want the Holy Spirit to reveal to me the truth of what the Word of God says. And that should be true for every one of us in here. But, but we see the evidence of this today in other, in other religions. They have allowed their interpretation of Scripture to lead them to conclude that God would allow a priest or a pastor who was homosexual to lead a church. Like they've come, they, they've allowed their interpretation of Scripture to draw the conclusion that it's okay for someone to stand before a church that's homosexual and lead that church. That's not God. That's not what the Word of God says. 
that they've also taken the scripture and they've interpreted it in such a way where they believe that God would ordain and endorse gay marriage, that it's okay for someone other than a man and a woman to marry. That's not what the word of God says. It doesn't matter that's your interpretation. What does God say? So it's, it, it's very dangerous for us as Christians when we get to a place where we, where we and, it, and we hate to say it like this, but we become prideful. And we say, well, this is how I see it. Well, who are you? I mean, you're, okay, what is, how does God see it? You know, don't, don't get so high on your horse that, that you have this, you know, allow yourself to see the, the word of God the way God sees it. And so many people, and this would be true for this teaching of marriage and of, of, of ordaining these priests, they believe that God and his word, it's evolving. I hate that word. That, that, God, that God is somehow, God's evolving and his word is evolving. Like, like evolution is taking place with God. And I'm like, well, I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see evolution in the Bible of where God is like changing. Like, oh my, like I hear these people on the radio and these talk show hosts and all like, oh my gosh, you know, people still really believe that, that marriage is between one man and one woman. Yes, we still believe that. That's what God says. But they think that society has evolved, and because society has evolved, that God, that God is evolving right along society. That's not biblical. That's not in the Bible. That's not there. There's nowhere where it says, when you get to this place in 2023, and the society starts believing in all these crazy things, then God says, I'm going to evolve to that. It doesn't say that. The Bible says in Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He's the same. God does not change. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers, the flowers fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God's word stands forever. Jesus is the word, the Bible says. John said, said that in chapter 1. Jesus is the word. The word became life. The word became alive, the Bible says. Jesus is the word of God. So it, it, doesn't, it doesn't change. So when you read those two verses, do I need somebody to interpret that for me? Do I need interpretation for that, for that verse? I don't need interpretation. I, that's, that's crystal clear. That's right, that's right there. Um, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4.3, and this isn't in the, on the screen, it says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. We are experiencing that today. J just exactly what it says, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. In other words, people don't want just the word of God. I don't, I don't just want what the truth or what the word of God says. I want to I hear what my ears want to hear, something that makes me feel good, that, that, that sounds good, that, that makes me feel better. And, and that, that is happening in our, world, in our world today. You know, I've often, you know, since I began to pastor, often have people come up to me and they thank me. They say, I'm just so thankful that you preach the Word of God. And I look at them and I say, well, what else am I going to preach? <laughs> but you know what that tells me? That there's other people preaching something other than the Word of God. Well, to me, that's not a preacher. I don't know if that's a philosopher or a, a professor or an educator. I don't know what, what you would call that, but that's not a preacher. We, we, we are given the mandate as pastors and as Christians to speak the word of God. I'm, I'm just a, I'm a messenger. 
I'm a, um, I'm, I'm a instrument, a voice, just, just taking the word of God, and my, my role is to deliver the word, just to, to, to speak it. I, I try to speak it with clarity, you know, with conviction, you know, with authority and all those things, but it's not my word. Thank God it's not that. that I settled that with God as soon as I began to preach. I said, I said God, you know, what am I going to preach, and what if people don't um, agree with what I'm saying and don't like what I'm saying? And God said, you don't have to worry about none of that. It's not your words, it's my words. So that really took, that, that relieved me of the pressure of, of, well, you know, how is this going to come across and how is it going to be received? It's the word of God. It's the truth. And, and God just said, you just deliver the word. You, you, and same thing for Christians. That will, when, we, when we witness to someone, we, we share the truth of what the word of God says. We're not responsible for the outcome. You know, the devil will do that. He'll get us all defeated. Well, man, you, you witness to that guy or that girl and, and she, she didn't or he didn't receive Christ. And you walk away thinking, well, what did I do? I didn't do anything wrong. I was obedient to what the word of God says. I shared the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes in and brings the revelation. We're just given the, the, the job, the beautiful job. The Bible, the Bible says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of the gospel. We're just given the mandate to share the truth of what the word of God says. So what we need to do is you need to resist an attitude that says, this is the way I interpret or the way I see it, and no one or nothing will change my mind. You can't ever get in Scripture and, and, and read a verse or read a passage and say to yourself, well, this is how I see it, and I don't care what anybody else says or what anybody else shows me, I'm not changing my mind. That's a hard heart. What I do, and, and, and I've said this before, God has allowed me, you know, the Bible says there's wisdom in counsel. There's wisdom in many counselors. And so if I have a passage or a, or a truth in the Word of God that, that maybe I'm not exactly sure how it is that God is speaking this, I'll put my ears wide open and I'll begin to listen to, to the voices of other men that I hold in, in high esteem and understand and begin to listen. How do they see this? And, and what, do, what, what you begin to do is you begin to get like a, an understanding, a collective understanding that, that all of them basically, they, they, they have concluded that this is the, the message or the truth of what this is, scripture is saying. And um, it's a consensus. In other words, you get a consensus of other minds, got men that you trust, and all of a sudden, so if all of these men together are agreeing with this, with this scripture, but I am like the only one that says, no, you're all wrong, then who's the one that's probably wrong? It's probably me. Now, that's not the case in every situation. But again, God, God will lead you to that. So he, really, this is the mindset that you should have when you approach Scripture. Begin this way when you approach Scripture. God, I'm wrong and you're right. Show me the truth by the revelation of the Holy Spirit and change any way in me that is not from you. That's the approach you should have. So what does that do? That dismisses pride. See, pride goes out the door because pride says, well, I'm going to, I see this. No, humility says, I don't understand this. I don't, I don't, I don't. But I want to understand what the word of God says. And so I humble myself before God and I say, God, I, I don't know the truth. I'm, 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 I'm wrong, but you are right, God. You know the truth in everything. And, and I'm telling you, if you approach it that way, the Holy Spirit will give you peace and revelation of every truth of what the word of God says. So, but if we don't do that, it's gonna, we're going to fall into the same danger this church did. They began to compromise. 
They began, they began to allow the teachings of the world to mix with the teachings of God, and that's what the church has done. They, they've, they've kept the word of God, but they've allowed the things of the world to come and to mix in together with the word of God. And what does that do? It, it dilutes the word. It's no longer as strong. It, do, it doesn't have the same strength. It's not pure. It's the, we, we preach and teach the pure word of God. Our, our objective is not to offend people, but we know when we, when we preach this way, it's going to offend but that's not our objective. That's not my desire. But that's going to be, that's going to be one of the outcomes if somebody's going to get offended. But again, God said it's not me. It's what the Word of God says. So this is so important for us to understand this. Um, so we, we, must, we must resist a mixture of, of error with truth in, in, every, in every way. This will only lead to disobedience and ungodly behavior. Um, Matthew 16, 6 um, Jesus said, be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. What Jesus was saying is, be on your guard against the teachings of the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders, the ones that should have known the truth of what the Word of God says. And Jesus warned them, be careful what they say, because not everything they say is the truth. And a little bit of truth will do what? I mean, a little bit of error will do what? It will spoil the whole truth. It's like yeast and bread. You just need a little bit of yeast to, make, to, to, to affect the dough in the, uh, in, in the bread. It's the same thing. So, so we, we, we stand firm on the word of God. We don't apologize for it. This, this church stands true to what the word of God says from Genesis to Revelation. We, we're, not, we're not apologetic for it. We preach and teach what the word of God says. And um, so that, that, that is so important. So that, that was really the rebuke or the correction that Christ had given them, they were allowing worldliness and ungodliness to infiltrate the church and to begin to mix together with untruth. So, um, so and I've said this before, you got to turn off social media, you know, just limit the number of men and women you listen to and listen to what God says in his word. Let the word of God be your main source of instruction. You know, so many times I hear Christians say, well, man, didn't, didn't you hear what such and such a pastor believes or such and such a pastor said this, and I'm like, and, 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 and there are men that I respect in, in some instances, but I'm like, well, why don't you get just excited about what the Word of God says? Like, you get all excited about what this man said. Why don't you come up to him and say, man, look what Jesus said. That's what God wants. So I'm not saying don't listen to other people and don't read other things. That, that's not wrong to do that. But I believe we need to limit those things so the main source of what we're hearing from is the Word of God only. And the Holy Spirit is inside of every one of us who are born again, and the Holy Spirit will, will reveal to us, will give us revelation of what the truth of the Word of God is. And then the next thing that Jesus is telling us in verse 16, he said, Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against you with the sword of my mouth. So Jesus is saying, Stand willing to change your ways. Jesus' exhortation was simple. He told the church to repent. See, I love this. Even, even in the rebuke, Christ didn't just wipe them out and say, look, I'm just going to cancel you out. You're no longer a church. I'm killing every one of y'all, and I'm done with y'all. He doesn't do that. He, he gives them an opportunity to change. What is that called? That's repentance. We, we hear something from God that shows us that what I'm doing is wrong, and what, what does repent mean? It means that change. It's a change of mind. It's a change of attitude. It's a change of action. I, I change my ways. I, I change what I'm doing. I, I, I go in a, in a different direction. 
And Jesus simply told them, he said, um, he told them to, um, to repent. And um, so um, he's asking us to return back to the pure word of God without, without compromise or corruption. You know, we must guard against a heart that refuses to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's how we get a hard heart. When God is speaking to us and speaking to us about something and we refuse to listen, eventually the Bible says our heart can become so hard we no longer hear the voice of God. That's a dangerous place for us to be. So God is giving us a chance to turn, to, to turn back, to, to listen to the voice of God and heed what the Word of God, what the Word of God says, and be willing to confess and admit that we are wrong and be willing to change. That, that's what God wants us to do. Um, Jesus will not tolerate compromise. We must be willing to turn away from anything that corrupts the truth of the Word of God. So, so you gotta just, you know, just like I need to do in my life. All of us as Christians need to examine ourselves, you know, and just say, God, is there any way in me that I have allowed because of maybe my interpretation or my wanting to, to maybe interpret Scripture in such a way that would allow me to disobey your word? Is, is that true in my life? And if the Holy Spirit reveals that to you, then what do we need to do? We change. You say, God, just what I said, I'm wrong. That's humility. You just, you say, you just confess. God already knows. You're not, he's not surprised by any of this. You just confess before him that, that, that you're wrong and that, um, that he's right. Um, Luke chapter 15, verses 17 to 18, this is the story of the prodigal son. Um, he said, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And y'all know the story of the, the prodigal son. It was the, the, uh, the younger son. He, he wanted his inheritance. He got it early. The Bible says he took all of his money and squandered it in wild living. But while he was, while he was in the pig's pen, the Bible says, he came to his senses. He, he realized that what he, did, what he did was wrong. And he said, I should go back to my father. And, the, and at the very least, I probably won't be a son again. But at the very minimum, I would be better off even if I was just a servant, just a slave. I'll take that. And that, that's, a, that's a picture of repentance. You, you wake up, you come to your senses, and you, you understand all of a sudden, see, he wasn't, I don't know, the, the Bible doesn't say it in the story, but it, he was probably blaming everybody else for everything he did. All of a sudden, guess who took the responsibility? He did. That's the beginning of true change. And true repentance is when we, when we admit, when we confess that we're the ones that are wrong. So um, as I close here, I'm just going to ask Ray if you could to come and just to begin uh, playing, please. So Jesus concludes with the promise, and Lee did a good job when he was sharing his letter uh, two weeks ago about all the things, all the promises that he, he read a whole list of all the promises that each letter had, had given us. And really, that's the, you know, really the aim. That should be the thing that spurs us on to want to do the things that Christ is calling us to do is the reward. There's a reward. There's a reward for suffering. The church in Smyrna was going to suffer persecution, but Jesus said there's a reward for that. Just press on. Just, just stand firm. And uh, But in, in verse 17, he says, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That, that's us. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. 
um, the hidden manna, the, the, the truth of, of really what the scripture says here is really not revealed. I studied this, it really doesn't say for sure, but we know in the Old Testament, if you read the, the, the story of the nation of Israel, remember they were living in the wilderness. What did God cause to rain down from heaven to feed them? Manna. It was it literally food was coming down from heaven like rain, the Bible says. And all they had to do was just go and gather up the manna. Well, Jesus said in the New Testament, the Israelites, the Jews, they ate the manna from heaven. But what happened to them? They died. They, they ate the manna, but they still died. But Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I, I am the true manna. And Jesus said, whoever eats this bread will what? Will never die. See, so the, to me, the, the hidden manna, this is just me. I, I think it's like Jesus, if we do the things that Christ is calling us to do, then Jesus is going to reveal to us the, his hidden secrets, like the hidden things of God. Like we get that close to God, that God begins to reveal things, the hidden things of God. And then it says, I will also give to that person a white stone with a, with a new name written on it. And, and we know that when we, when we become a Christian, the Bible says the old is gone, the new has come. We, we, we have a new name. We're, we're born again now. We're, 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 we're a new creation in Christ, the Bible says. We're not the old person that we used to be. We're, we're new in Christ. We have eternal life. We're no longer condemned, but we're free now in Christ. We're, we're, we're not in, we're, we're barred from corruption to life. So all of the things that God has done for us are in Christ. And, and Jesus is saying, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is, is giving up. It's almost like a, a second, you know, um, exhortation is listen to what I'm saying. He who has ears to hear, we all have ears here. Listen to what the Spirit says and heed the Word of God. Heed the Word of God and what it says. And, and so, again, I think these letters, they're so, they're encouraging because, again, I look at it from the perspective that Christ was writing them to the church. Like he, he had his, his mind was on me and you, on us, his, his children, his true children. And God loves us so much that he wanted to instruct us to, to keep us safe. And um, I feel good when I read these letters because I know our church, we're in a good place. Are we, are we perfect? No, we're not perfect. There's no church that is perfect because every church has imperfect people. So it's not going to be perfect, but we want to be as close as we can to being obedient to what the Word of God has called us to do. Amen. Amen. You can stand to your feet, please. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.